In your Bibles, if you'd please turn to chapter 2 of the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This morning, the message is about unity. And it's about unity that only comes through the humility of Christ. I've been uh, reflecting on, uh, for the last week, a phrase. And I've been talking to high school students about the myth of being a self-made man. A self-made man or woman, I'll try to be politically correct, but it's a phrase that we use uh, to sort of talk about people who sort of come from nothing and make themselves into something. Uh, the Probably the best known, or at least uh, maybe uh, the self-made man of our era would probably be Jeff Bezos, who is uh, the founder uh, of uh, Amazon.com. I googled him this morning to see how much he's worth. It's a mere 131 billion dollars. They last asked or they last checked in how much money he was worth and it was 99 billion dollars. He's averaging like uh, $88,000 an hour or something like that is what he makes. So it's something crazy, I don't know. I don't know how they even calculate it. He's the wealthiest man in the world. Uh we would say he's a self-made man, but if you do a little investigating, you would know that Jeff Bezos got a loan from his parents to help start his company selling books online. He got $250,000 from his mom and dad. I don't know that you would uh, constitute that as a self-made man, would you, if you get your help from your mommy? Uh, but... Uh, 
But this is the culture we live in, is that when someone arrives, when someone achieves success, we would use a phrase like self-made man, self-made woman, that they rise from nothing, they conquer and achieve greatness. Jeff Bezos has reached the sort of pinnacle of success, and in a world where you no longer conquer nations, he's conquered companies. He's, he has surpassed anything imaginable in success and uh, in worldly success to the point now where he doesn't know what to spend his money on so now he's trying to conquer space if you ask him what the mission of his life is it is to find and uh, globe or it's to globalize the world the entire universe to conquer it all he has a he's bought property in texas so that he can do just this it is a race of the uh, incredible billionaires to try and conquer space. In the ancient world, they didn't use the term self-made man. Rather, they would call people sons of God, or they would attribute them to be divine. In the ancient world, 300 years before Jesus walked on the earth, there was a man by the name of Alexander the Great. And he was known as Alexander the Great because he was one of the greatest rulers that ever existed in the world. He was one who conquered kingdoms and he brought peace. And it was the, uh, Greece was the largest empire the world had ever seen. And they called him Alexander the Great because of the incredible organizational structure that it took and military prowess to conquer that many nations and rule over that many people. But he brought peace to the world. And so they started calling him divine. It was in the days of Jesus and thereafter, there was Caesar Augustus, the emperor Augustus, and he was known as the ruler who brought peace the world over through the Roman Empire. Both of these men considered divine. Now we may not call Jeff Bezos divine, but it's all the same model. It's all about conquering it's all about organizational structure. It's all about trying to bring peace to the world through whatever means necessary. The book of Philippians flips on the head what true divinity is. We see they, a picture of what it means to be truly divine in Jesus Christ. There's a troubling part in Philippians 2. There's this little thing that gets people hung up from time to time. It says there in verse 6, Who in being very nature with God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. And it's verse 7 that gets people a little bit tripped up. Rather he made himself nothing. Made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. It says that he pours himself out. He makes himself nothing. And some folks, they pick up that and they think, okay, is Jesus no longer divine? Does he lose his divinity? And the, pur the purpose of this text is not to show Jesus sort of losing his divinity. The purpose of this is to show what true divinity is. That it is in him 
giving of self-sacrificial love is the sign of true divinity. The truest form of being godlike is found in self-sacrificial love. It's not the myth of the world that says to be divine is to conquer. It, the, the true reality is to be divine is to give of yourself in sacrificial love for the world. Jesus reveals himself to be truly God's son, to be truly Emmanuel, God with us, in the pouring out of his life. And we miss it, but Paul is being so uh, subversive in teaching us and reminding us that the way that the world really works is through humility. The way that God truly reveals who he is is through sacrificial love. Now, I can preach uh, a long time about humility and your need to be hum- uh, humble. And what I think is, is that, it's not that it's not that we don't know that we need to be humble. I'm really great at it. It's that we, uh, we get tripped up on the obedience part. If you look at the text, you see Jesus is obedient all the way through. He's obedient all the way to death taking on the very nature of a servant. He's obedient to take on the cross. And friends, I've been thinking about obedience. And the CDC around Thanksgiving, they all told us that romaine lettuce was potentially harmful. And I'll tell you what, I never obeyed the CDC any better than that day. I mean, it's like, they said lettuce is bad, I'm steering clear. Iceberg even, I don't want anything to do with it. Bring on the potatoes, right? Now, I don't know, it was easy to obey the CDC when they said romaine lettuce is bad. Did you hear this week that they came out? And I, I think the guy, the guy sitting behind the desk, he said, you know, everybody listen to us about the romaine lettuce. And I think he thought, he woke up that day and he said, you know what, today's the day I'm going to tell people that cookie dough is bad for them. And I think he walked into work that day and he said, guys, this is it. They listened to us about romaine lettuce. I think we can tell them that cookie dough is bad and they shouldn't eat it anymore. And he went in all bold and ready and he said, guys, and he sold it. And sure enough, they released it and they said, cookie dough is bad for you. I'll tell you what, that's one instruction from the CDC I will never listen to. I think they're totally full of it, right? They don't know what they're talking about. They, they don't know a thing. It's obedience. I can, I can instruct you, and we can read and study in our scriptures, that it's humility that brings unity to God's church. That it's the humility of Christ where he truly reveals his divinity and love for the world. That it's self-sacrificial love that will bring together a church. I can give those instructions, but it's the obedience that trips us up. And so we're called to have the same mind the same mind as Christ has. And that doesn't mean that we all agree on what the best color is or, or even something as significant as agreeing who the author of, like, say, the book of Hebrews is. Paul is not asking for everyone to just sort of blindly agree on one thing. What he is saying is, is if you have the mind of Christ, you will have sacrificial love where... You don't have to have your own way. You will consider others over yourself. 
The way this works is that it's not that it has to be my way. It's not that it has to be your way. It's that it's trusting and knowing that if we give of ourselves and we pour out love, that what happens is this beautiful picture of people coming together. Having the same mind of Christ is having the same humility and kindness and love and respect and decency. But it's this obedience. The obedience is the hang-up. How do we get people to obey? I don't know. I think I might write a book one day if I ever do figure it out. But how do we get past it? And it's Christ. It's Christ. It's following Him. It's just trusting and seeing the result of what happens from Christ's obedience. Christ obeys and he fully commits himself and then what happens? But God honors and he says, I have given Jesus the name above all names and all heaven and all of earth is going to glorify Jesus Christ. Friends, we just sort of keep following him. I've been been reading a a book uh, called Soul Work by Randy Harris and in that book he he mentions a, a dude that lived 400 years ago. His name was Jeremy Taylor, and he was a Church of England minister, and he wrote a book, two books called Holy Living and Holy Dying, and I bought them for $3 on Kindle, and they are the snooziest books you'd ever read. 400 years ago, I don't know how they understood each other. But in it, he offers 19 rules for living a humble life. And I thought I would cover all 19 with you. Uh, you guys, some of you are affirming that idea and others are not. So I'm going to split the difference and we're going to go with seven. I have them in your bulletin for you. And a little commentary. And so I, I know that uh, I can instruct us and tell us and remind us and we can point to Christ of his humility. But maybe if we just have a practical step and you pick one of the seven, maybe we can find a little bit of humility. I know you all won't be as humble as me, but we can try. Before we dig in, there's a passage of Scripture that I think needs to sit in your heart. It's uh, Luke 17, and it's Jesus speaking uh, a parable about a servant. In Luke 17, 7, it says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat. Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink, and after that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. I never understood that passage until uh, there was a chapel in college. And they were honoring uh, Tom Chamberlain who spent the majority of his adult life as a missionary uh, in uh, the country of Chile. 
he received the Divine Servant Award. It's the, uh, it's the best, highest honor that Great Lakes bestows upon its alumni, recognizing people in their kingdom service and their work. Um, and Tom received it that day. And he stood up and he read this passage. And he said, I've just been doing what I was told to do. And it was finally like, oh, I get it. We are all unworthy servants. And humility calls us to, to kind of put ourselves in perspective of who we are in Christ and that we're all servants of Christ, unworthy servants in the kingdom of God. With that sort of in mind, the first uh, suggestion from and Jeremy Taylor is do not think better of yourself because of any outward circumstances that happens to you. I love Randy Harris's commentary on this. He puts it this way. The problem is you were born, you were born on third base and you think you hit a triple. A whole bunch of us were born on third base. You did nothing to put yourself in such a great position in life. You didn't have any say in where you were born and when. So to think more highly of yourself because of outward circumstances is foolish. You didn't hit the triple. So taking pride and thinking yourself better than other people because of it is the antithesis of humility. To live humbly, we consider others before ourselves. We put in perspective, we aren't the ones who hit the triple. I stand on the shoulder of my parents who sacrificed much, and my parents st uh, stood on the shoulders of their own parents. I hit a triple, and maybe there's people around me that only hit us. Uh, I didn't hit the triple, but I started my life off from third base. I shouldn't have looked so negatively on the people around me who don't share similar circumstances. So one, rule one would be don't think yourself better because of outward circumstances. You didn't hit the triple. Just remind yourself that. Number two, nurture the love to do good things in secret, concealed from the eyes of others, and therefore not highly esteemed because of them. I think he's listening to the Sermon on the Mount and the importance of secrecy and concealing our good and kind acts. I think it's as simple as this. To cultivate humility in our life, we have to be willing to be secret in our kindness. Do we want to steal glory for ourselves or live in such a way where Christ gets the glory? Rule number three. When you are slighted by someone... Or feel undervalued. Do not harbor any secret anger, supposing that you actually deserved praise, and that they overlooked your value, or that they neglected to praise you because of their own envy. Do not try to seek out a group of flatterers who will take your side and whose vain noises and empty praises you may try to keep up your high opinion of yourself. This is a big one because it's really easy for us to feel undervalued, underappreciated, and slighted. So Taylor's point is this. 
if you really come to believe that when you've done your best, you're an unworthy servant, then it's impossible for you to feel undervalued. If you function like I'm an unworthy servant, then nobody can ever make you feel worse. I think it's an interesting perspective. And so whenever you do feel like people might be slighting you, it has no power over you. And then you don't have to go onto Facebook and see if you can rally up and muster support for your belief. Friends, don't fall into the trap of pride. Number four is take an active part in the praising of others. Enter, entertaining their good with delight. In no way should you give into the desire to disparage them or lessen their praise or make any objection. You should never think that hearing the good report of another in any way lessens your worth. Doesn't it burn a little when people get the credit and you don't? But listen to the wisdom of that. You should never think that hearing the good report of another report another person lessens yours i think about all the people that win awards that you know that give out the grammys those whatever and it's like all of these people are nominated all these whatever are and it's like you got nominated that's great and you can praise and support the person who got it too and it doesn't really relate to us but maybe a person who gets a promotion a person who gets success who gets recognized it doesn't lessen who you are it's such a hard thing for us because it, it's so deep within us. I, you know, it's like, this is me not, I'm not condemning you on it. I'm right there with it. There's preachers that have the prestigious positions and I think, man, I'm better than they are. Again, I'm working on this humil- humility thing, you know. I'm preaching the sermon about humility and I have that attitude. But friends, We all struggle with it, but someone else's good report doesn't lessen your value and worth. And it's such a hard lesson for us, but we need to let it sink in. Number five, be content. Be content when you see or hear that others are doing well in their jobs and with their income, even when you're not. In the same manner, be content when someone else's work is approved and yours is rejected. That sounds a lot like four. Number six, never compare yourself with others unless it be to advance your impression of them and lower your impression of yourself. I don't like that at all. In fact, I like to compare myself to people in areas where I am clearly superior. Taylor says, though, that if you're going to compare yourself with somebody, always do it to lower your impression of yourself, not raise it. And when I reflect on this, I think, man, I need to look at the spiritual giants that have walked before us and say, how do I become more like them? Not try and compare myself with others and make myself feel better, but try and say, you know, there's areas where there's a little bit of room for improvement. I came home from school. It was my best report card ever. It was all A's and two A-minuses. 
awfully proud. I come in and I show my dad. I say, here, dad. My, my dad looks it over and he says, huh, looks like there's room for improvement. It's like, come on, dad. And it's hung with me all of these years. I had one good report card all my life and there it was. And no compassion, no hurrah, no way to go. But it looks like you could improve on that. I think my dad knew that I would have pride issues. Number seven, give thanks for every weakness, for every fault, for every imperfection you have. Give thanks for it. Accept it as favor of God, an instrument to resist pride and nurse humility. Remember, if God has chosen to shrink your swelling pride, He has made it that much easier for you to enter in through the narrow way. God lifts up the humble. You know, I've been really challenged in reflecting on this. Randy Harris talked about a group uh, that he was a part of. These guys, they would meet together every week. And one of the things that they decided to do in their meeting together, they, they made a rule up. And the rule was no one was allowed to serve themselves. So they would eat a meal as soon as they got together. But no one was allowed to put any food on their own plate. And then also, they weren't allowed to ask for anything. And so when the guys come into the room together, what it did was it, it made you vulnerable to the guy next to you. But the reason why they did it was not because they were trying to be cute or anything. They had a purpose. And their purpose was that they wanted to, whenever they walked into the room, they wanted to have eyes to serve. They wanted to be the lowest and least in whatever room they walked into. And friends, what I hope this message is cultivating in our church is an attitude and a spirit that says, whatever room we walk into, I want to be the lowest and the least. I want to be a servant to all. And that's awfully challenging for us. But we have to do things to cultivate an attitude of serving and loving others. It's not about positions of power and stature. It's about humility. It's about self-sacrificial love. And when we do this, when we start having these eyes to see, we start following the steps of Christ around the table with his friends, washing his disciples' feet. He tells his disciples, go and do likewise. Anybody that says to him that they want to come and follow him, he says the same thing. In order to follow me, you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me. Follow Christ is to think of others as greater than yourself. And when we do that, we're united. And when we do that, we glorify Christ. Friends, I hope that you all be humble like I am. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And we can so quickly lose sight of humility and be proud of our service, proud of our giving, proud of our appearances. 
and God, the challenge of Luke 17 to consider ourselves unworthy servants is an attitude that we often have to return to and reflect on. I got all of our efforts, all of our work, must be for you. And we know this. But we have a hard time in the obedience. And so remind us. Remind us of the second, the third, the fourth, and fifth chances you've given us. Remind us of your forgiveness and your goodness and your love and your mercy. Remind us that we can be your humble servants who live for you. God, this day we thank you for your Son, the most humble of them all, who though in very nature was God, he didn't consider equality with you as something to be grasped or used for his own advantage. Rather, he pours out his love and he points us to you. And so you, God of all mercy and sacrificial love, we turn to you. Heal us of our pride. God, we dangerously ask you to humble us. To keep pride and envy and bitterness at bay. That we would be your humble and loving faithful servants in the kingdom of Christ. And God, when it's all said and done, we would look and we would know and we would trust that we are simply unworthy servants in the kingdom of Christ who have eternal life. We love you, Lord. Lead and help your church. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. There's plenty of rules there. If you're like me, I've never met a rule that I haven't wanted to break. But I just simply ask that you reflect on those seven. Later on today on Facebook, I'll post the rest of the 19. And you can check them out. And I'd simply just ask you to reflect on one of them. Maybe it's to conceal your kindness. Christmas is a great time to be secretly kind and generous. Maybe it's an opportunity to evaluate your own heart and say, am I trying to get people to come on my side? Trying to flatter my ego? Build myself up? It might be something in your life that you need to look at and reflect on. But all of it, points us back to Luke 17. We are all unworthy servants. Let's continue our work and glorify Christ. Let's stand and sing.